Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. guys, this is, um, this is our last sermon in this series, and I'm like, I'm kind of nervous, I'm kind of excited, a little bit of both, my girls call it being nervous-sided, I like have the combination of both these things, uh, because I haven't been up here in six weeks, you guys, <laughs> most of you guys are like, really, you haven't even noticed, uh, it's, been, <laughs> it's been six weeks, we've had an amazing summer through this series, We've gone through all 20 spiritual gifts, and we've had those who are, who are gifted in these gifts speak on these gifts. So it's been a privilege for me to, to sit and to learn and to listen uh, to those who are stepping forward and operating in these specific gifts. So we had so many new people who've never done this before speak over the summer, which was just so amazing and so great. So if you've missed that series, go check it out on our website and you can hear on all the, uh, you can hear on all the gifts, uh, all 20 of those gifts. Uh, the other thing is, guys, it's five years. Like, that's a big deal. I don't know if you guys realize how big a deal that is for a church in downtown Toronto. And, and for a church anywhere, really. Uh, stats on church planting are that churches don't survive uh, very long. Most churches don't make it past the three-year mark. And so we're a church start. We started in Regent Park. Uh, Now we engage here in St. Jamestown. And it's actually really amazing that we're still here five years later. So I'll talk more about that as we go through. But we're finishing our series up today on faith and prophecy. And I'm going to do it a little different today because we're combining it with our five-year birthday. So it's going to be a little different. Uh, And that's why I kind of dressed up today. Like, this is... This is me kind of dressed up. I mean, Adam even wore shoes today. So, like, you know, you know, it's, it's an occasion where we're celebrating. Afterwards, we're going to have a party downstairs. It's our five-year birthday, so we're going to do it like a five-year-old does their birthday. <laughs> we got McDonald's downstairs. We got mini donuts. And it's going to be really good. So afterwards, let's celebrate together downstairs. Right now, uh, we're going to go into these gifts. Let me give you an overview of what we've done over the summer. So here's all 20 gifts. <clears throat> and we've, we've broken these up into love gifts, word gifts, and power gifts. Think of it like a three-legged stool. And without one of those legs, the stool is going to fall over. So we need a love leg. We need a power leg. We need a word, uh, a word leg. And all of these gifts, guys, are on the same level. Don't think power gifts are more, like, powerful. They're all manifestations of the Spirit in your life. Okay, so uh, let's, let me just go, go over these real quick. We got our love gifts, service, administration, giving mercy. Uh, it's funny that administration is under love, because if you know someone with administration, you're like, That's, that doesn't really fit. But maybe they just need more of that in their life. Um, but it actually is a love gift in, the, in terms of this, this word means they're steering and directing, and that's how they love the body of Christ. And then we have the word gifts. You have the fivefold there first, uh, apostleship, prophecy, evangelism, shepherding, teaching, and then leadership and exhortation. 
And, and I won't go over all these guys. I'm just giving you an overview just because we've, we've spoken on all these gifts throughout the summer. And then the power gifts, uh, discernment, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. I know that's confusing. You're like, those should be word gifts, but they're not. They're just, they're, they're under here. So words of knowledge, words of wisdom, faith, healings, miracles. And healings is not a typo. If you want to hear why it's plural, go back and listen to that sermon. Uh, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and intercession. And guys, I get it. Like, some of you guys, uh, we're, we're a mixed church, right? Like, we're kind of a mixed bag on a lot of things. So uh, some of you guys, if there's a spectrum, some of you guys are like, yes, all 20 of those gifts, I believe, are in operation today. They're accessible. Some of you guys are on this end of the spectrum where, where you're saying, no, I don't actually believe in some of these gifts, whether it's word or power or whatever it is. You're, you're like, I'm not sure about these. Or you may even consider yourself theologically a cessationist. That's OK, guys. Like, what, what we, wherever you are on that spectrum is okay. What we've done over the summer, though, is show you guys where we are as a church. And this is where we are, all 20 of these gifts. Now, you may say, I don't believe in, let's say we talked about tongues and interpretation of tongues last week. You may say, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't believe that because I haven't seen it done properly. I haven't seen it worked out well. I don't know, it's always weird. And yes, guys, guess what? It's always gonna be weird. Like Jamie said last week, it's, where's this still gonna be a little weird? Still gonna be a little awkward. Uh, but uh, I was talking to a mentor this week and he was saying, just because uh, it's done wrong doesn't mean it does not exist, okay? So we've seen leadership done wrong. How many of you guys seen leadership done really wrong? And we don't believe that gift stopped existing. Hey. You talking about me? <laughs> we don't believe that gifts stopped existing. We've seen teaching done, done wrongly. We've seen administration, and we've even seen giving done wrongly, right? But we don't believe it stopped existing. So what we want to do as a church is say, how should we view these properly? How should we understand these? And how do we implement these? How do we create an environment for the spirit to move and work through us, help us discover our gifts and, and how to operate in them? That's what this whole series has been about. So that's, that's all 20 there. Today we're, we're dealing with faith and, and prophecy. And <clears throat> this being our five-year birthday, <clears throat> guys, this church was planted out of the gift of faith. If we didn't have that, if we weren't operating in the gift of faith, we wouldn't be here today. And then, and then through our history, the, the prophetic gift has built up the body of Christ, as, as Adam read in there. It's built up the church here. It's, it's made us into who we are. It's, it's given us direction. It's, it's given us consolation when we need it. It's given us encouragement. It's built us up. So these two gifts are, are huge for us in the church. So let's go with this passage, and, and let me walk you through these, these three verses Starting in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, or chapter 14, verse 1, Paul says, pursue love. Why, why love? Why is he even talking about love? Well, this is coming off of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the, the, the love chapter. And, and a lot of times you, you hear this chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in, in weddings, right? 
But Paul is actually talking about the body of Christ here. That's, that's the context. It's not that it doesn't apply in your marriage. Uh, it does. But what Paul is talking about here is spiritual gifts and the use of spiritual gifts. And, and so in chapter 12, he's just talked about spiritual gifts. He says, I want to show you a more excellent way. And then he goes into what that excellent way is, and that is love, and he shows us love. And then chapter 14, he says, now pursue it. And when he says pursue it, he's not, he's not saying, hey, just jog gingerly after it. Uh, Missy, my wife, she's, she's not a jogger. She's not a runner. And, and she, this just popped in my head. This is like a prophetic word. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I am just kidding. It is not. It's just an illustration. I don't know. It might be. But <laughs> I don't want to quench the spirit. So <laughs> we, we had to take our car into the shop this week. And when we do that, it's, it's about three kilometers from our house. So uh, she did that, and she, Missy wore her workout, her workout gear. Like, she works out. She, she does not work out, but she has workout gear. And so she, she wore her workout gear, took the car in, because she was going to jog back, right? She's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this right. So she starts out, and then she has to walk, and then she starts jogging, and she walks. She gets... She, I see her uh, later that day. She's like, hey, I jogged back uh, from the mechanics. And I was like, really? She's like, well, I kind of like, you know, did, did this number where I kind of jogged and then I walked and, and then jogged again and walked. And then yesterday, she was going up the stairs. She's like, I'm so sore. <laughs> Just from like maybe three kilometers, maybe even two. I'm, I'm giving you a little, little benefit there. But... Uh, when Paul says pursue love, he's not talking about what Missy did. He's not saying, like, I'm just going out for a light stroll. You know, I'm just like, and then I'm going to walk, and then I'll jog again. He's saying vigorously run after it like a hunter chases prey. And not like a hunter on recreation, guys. Like a hunter who needs this for their livelihood. Who needs this who, who has to pursue this or, or they'll die. They need the food. They need the sustenance. They need the clothing. They need, they need the protection. They need the cover. They, and, and he says, pursue love like that. And that's how we're to pursue this. It's not just a gingerly jog. We're running and chasing after it. And, and when you think about this, think about this in terms of Jesus. That's how he's pursuing you this morning. Jesus, wherever you're at in your life, wherever you are right now, He's pursuing you with that type of love. We have this picture, thank you, Renaissance, of, of Jesus, blonde, blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus, petting a baby sheep, being all gentle. Yes, Jesus is the epitome of gentleness, but guess what? He's chasing after you like a hunter chases prey. That's his love for you. He's like a wild man, guys. He's like, he's like casting things aside. Sin gets in his way, and he's squashing it. The enemy gets in his way, he crushes his head. He's, he's like pushing things aside, jumping over barriers, chasing after you, hair disheveled, like going crazy, like eyes on fire, pursuing you this morning. That's our Savior. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, that's who Jesus is. He is chasing after you. He cares for you so deeply. And so if you've experienced that love this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, you should pursue others with that type of love. And that's the type of love we should embody as the church. That is a mark of Christian community. 
Are we doing that? Have we been that for the past five years? Are we that now? Are we gonna be that into the fall? Those are questions that, that we need to consider as a church. Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Desire them. He didn't say just desire this one or that one. He says all the gifts. He says earnestly desire all the gifts. What does that mean for us? If we can desire them, what does that mean? That means all the gifts are accessible to you in the power of the Spirit this morning. If Jesus is our model, and he is, and Jesus lived a life full of the Spirit, and he did, and we can live that life because he showed us that kind of life, then, then all those gifts are actually accessible for us this morning. That's, that's an amazing truth. And that's why on our common script, we used to say, if you have this gift, it looks like this, and we change it to when you operate in this gift. Because it's not if you have it or you don't, it's more of a, it's more of a spectrum. We'll talk about that a little later, but Paul says, earnestly desire them, especially that you may prophesy. Why? Why does he single that one out? Verse two, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for, one, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, and here's the answer, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So the prophetic gift does three things, Paul says. It builds up. Think of a, a building, a construction building. We, that should be easy for us to picture being here in Toronto. There's cranes everywhere. There's two just down the street here. Think of that. When you, when you operate in this gift, you are building other people up. You're, you're building a building. And, and he says, and encouragement, which literally means you are placing courage inside somebody. The implication is you're casting out fear. That fear is gone if you're placing courage inside somebody. And consolation, this is comfort. So you are consoling. The, the prophetic word offers consolation and comfort. It does not... It does not breed an environment of fear. It does not tear down. It does not bring discomfort or anxiety. Right? Those would be the opposites. It doesn't do those things. No, it builds up and encourages and it consoles. So let, let's, go to, let's go to the common script that we've developed. I'm gonna, I've abbreviated it this morning. And we're just going to go through the definitions and, and what it looks like when you operate in the skiff this morning because... Uh, we're going to go into something else afterwards. So prophecy. This is the spiritual capacity to reveal God's intimacy. Remember, in each definition, we have... So the language is very important to us, guys. We've said it's a spiritual capacity. So this is us operating in the spirit. We have not said this is supernatural. Okay? And the reason being, not because it isn't, but we, we want to convey that operating in the spirit is actually natural. It's not supernatural. It's how God designed things to be. It's it should be natural for us to operate in the spirit. So it's our spiritual capacity. So, and to reveal God's intimacy. So, so each gift we've, we've shown reveals something about God's character. Here we've said it reveals God's intimacy by receiving a divinely inspired message and delivering it to others, enabling the body of Christ to discern God's leading. That's the definition. Let's go to... Uh, what it looks like when you operate in this gift. You aren't afraid to speak out publicly or take strong stands on issues. You tend to see the needs of the group as a whole more than individuals. Oftentimes, because of that, 
the person operating this gift can look insensitive um, because they're looking at, at the needs of the group rather than individual. Now, that doesn't excuse insensitivity. So when you operate in this gift, it doesn't give you the right to be insensitive, but sometimes you'll be perceived that way when you operate in this gift. Uh, because most of us actually look more to it, the individual rather than, than to the whole. And the person operating this gift uh, has, has an ability to see the whole and the benefit for the entire group. Uh, third thing, you have a deep conviction of biblical imperatives, which is biblical commands. Uh, the fourth thing is perhaps you occasionally have images, pictures, visions, or scriptures you feel are for the whole church, and you're sensitive to the Spirit's voice. Jesus uh, shows us this example in Luke chapter 4, and you know, we talk about Jesus as our model, and, and each of these gifts is accompanied with Jesus modeling this out for us. And in Luke chapter 4, he is, he is around all the religious leaders of, of that day, and he opens the Isaiah scroll, which was, which was the biggest one. So he's opening up the scroll, and he reads from the specific uh, passage where he says, where it's basically ushering in the kingdom of God. He says, I've come to proclaim good news, set the captives free, and, and things like this, all these marks of the kingdom. And he closes the scroll, he sits down, and, he's, and he basically says, it's been fulfilled today in your presence. And they marvel at Jesus' words. Everyone is like, they, they just marvel at what Jesus has done. And then, Jesus probably should have, <laughs> I don't know, maybe he should have stopped there. But then he goes on and he gives them something else, and then they flip, and then they say, let's kill him. Let's, let's get that guy. It's, it's such a dramatic turn, and it shows you the nature of the prophetic. It shows you that he's trying to build up the people and, and for, the, for the whole, for the, the, the nation, really. And, and all of a sudden, because, because it gets a little too close to people, they, they turn on him. And, and he models this for us, and, and Jesus kind of like slips out and... And, and this is the passage where he says a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So that's, that's the passage, Luke 4 there, example of the prophetic. Let's go to the faith. Like I said, this church started on faith. It was, it was we had to operate in this gift. God gave us tremendous amounts of faith as we, as we moved forward and started this church. So again, here's the definition. Spiritual capacity to demonstrate God's sovereignty by trusting in God's ability to fulfill his purposes, and so it's not just trust, guys. It's not just trusting in God's ability. It has to be paired with action and acting on God's promises with confidence. So that's the difference. We're, we're, having, we're not just trusting or believing. We see it manifested in risks of faith, in action, in real life. So let's see what it looks like when you operate in this gift. <clears throat> number one, drum roll please, boom. Oh, oh, that's number like seven. Go back one. When you operate in this gift, oh, that is the first one. Okay, you have an unusual willingness to accept God's promises at face value. Yeah, I, I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, an unusual willingness you're willing to do it. You're willing to throw yourself at the feet of God and depend on him. I mean, how many of you guys are willing to do that? 
Most of us like to control things, and we want to make sure things are going to happen. But this is an unabashed willingness to say yes to God. You think big picture, and you can see the big picture in God's working. All right, let's go to the next one. You have an attitude that says not only can God do something, but he definitely will do something or even has already done it. You wonder why others have so many doubts. If you're, if you're a person who operates in this gift, that, that is often your biggest frustration. You wonder why people have so many doubts. And you're like, why can't they just see it? Why can't they just trust in God? You're like, are you even a Christian? Like, are you even a follower of Jesus? And, and yes, they are, but um, you're just operating in this tremendous amount of faith, and you get to call other people up to that. Uh, that's, that's probably where the leadership gift gets paired with that. Uh, the, the, and then the, is this the last one? You expect God to move and aren't surprised when he does. You breed and build and perpetuate a culture of expectation. That God is going to move, that he's going to show up, that he's going to do something amazing. And when he does, you're not surprised. You're like, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Not because it was in you, but because you trusted him and his character and his sovereignty and who he says he is. That's the gift of faith. Jesus shows us, oh, there's more. Oh, no, let's skip that. Yep, skip that. Um, sorry, we're, we're running short on time. So Jesus, in Matthew chapter 14, he, he shows us this. Matthew chapter 14 is where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And there's 5,000, actually there's more than that, more people there than 5,000, but uh, there's, they, they have this massive crowd. Jesus has been teaching them, they've been following him around, and, and they're hungry. And they're like, we should give them something to eat. They've been following us around <laughs> all, all day or the past few days, whatever it's been. And... And so the disciples bring to him, they find this boy. It's kind of it's a funny uh, account because they find this boy and they're like going to steal his lunch. <laughs> like, hey, we got this boy and he has like a couple pieces of bread and some fish. And the boy's like, yeah, my mom packed this, but okay, here you go. Uh, so they find this boy, but the boy looks willing. He doesn't say he's not willing. He, he's like, yeah, Jesus, if you can use this. And, and the difference between Jesus and the disciples in this moment is the disciples see what they have in their hands and they don't have enough. And they say, what are we gonna do? We cannot move forward with this. We don't have enough. Like, we're gonna run out, we're gonna look bad, and we're gonna fail, and we're gonna fall on our face. Jesus doesn't look at what they have, he looks at what can be. That's the difference with the gift of faith. Jesus sees what the possibilities are. He sees what is gonna happen, and he trusts God's character to make it happen. And the disciples are stuck with what they have. How many of you guys are stuck with what you have in your hand? And you look at it, and you're like, I can't do anything with this. The history of our church, we have had very little in our hands. If we had said, what, we can't do anything with what God has given us, we would be stuck. We wouldn't have a space in St. Jamestown. We wouldn't, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have made so many 
things happen in that community. We wouldn't have done what we did in Regent Park. We wouldn't be here in this, in this school. We wouldn't have so many things happen if we just were focused on what we have. Instead, we want to be focused on what can be. And not what just can be, but what will be, guys. What will be. And we have to trust God in that. And we can be a community of faith with that type of faith. We have been already. We're a community defined by boldness, defined by taking risks of faith. But guys, none of this, any of these 20 gifts, none of this is, is going to do anything if we don't have love. And that's why Paul says, pursue love. You have to run after it. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just making noise. I'm like one of those little, little monkeys with the cymbals running around. That's just really annoying. He says, If you don't have love, I don't care how, how, how good it sounds. It's going to be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And here's where he talks about love. This is the type of love he says to pursue. He says love is patient. Love is kind. Love is, love is long-suffering. That's the most descriptive word for patience. Love is long-suffering. A lot of us are pretty good with short-suffering, right? We can, we can bear up on something for a little while, but not many of us are good with long-suffering. That's the type of love that we want to have, a love that suffers long, a love that is patient, a love that is kind. A love, kind is, is this word, it conveys mercy, uh, a love that is merciful to people, a love that does not envy or boast. It is not about itself. It's not prideful. It's not always trying to grasp at other things. It's not arrogant. It doesn't think more of itself than it is. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. Love is selfless. It's selfless. It's not selfish. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not easily frustrated. How many of you guys are easily frustrated? Love isn't like that. Love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. It is not bitter. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing or injustice or evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It rejoices with it, because truth rejoices on its own, and love comes alongside and rejoices with it. Verse 7, love bears all things which means that it covers, it protects, it puts up with all things. It believes all things. Love gives the benefit of the doubt a lot of times. It hopes all things, and that hope is not a doubtful uncertainty that is, I hope it doesn't rain today. That hope is a hope that is founded on Christ Jesus and what he has already done for us. That is the hope that love is founded on, the hope that we have, and it endures all things. It perseveres, and love never ends. It never ends. Paul says that is the more excellent way. That is, and love is the greatest 
of faith and hope. Love is gonna last forever. And our church, like I said, five years ago was started on, on faith. And a lot of you guys in here probably don't know a lot of the story, but, um, and we used to talk about it all the time. We haven't talked about it in a while. Um, but when we moved here, Missy and I, our family, in the end of 2012, December 2012. So we moved here December 2012. We knew nobody in the city. We knew nobody. Like we left our jobs, we left our, our country, we left our city, we left our family, we left our friends, we left our support structure, we left, we left all of that because God had called us here and we were willing and obedient. And we stepped forward in faith with almost nothing, guys. Like zero relationships in Toronto. Very little money. I could not work in this, in this country. I worked for the church, but guess what? We didn't have a church <laughs> yet. And we moved here with very little money, and we just, we just knew God said go, and so we went. And we got here, it was winter, and depressing. <laughs> because nobody was outside, and we're like, I remember walking, I remember looking outside the window that day, it was gray, and it was dreary, the, the, the first week we were here, and I was like, what the heck did we just do? That was a thought in my mind. I was like, we just gave up everything to come to this place. We had, we'd been to Toronto, what, one or two times before, right before we moved here, right? Um, and... And that was that we knew nothing about the city. We knew very little about, about everything. Only what we do online, right? And, and, and then I said, after I said that, after I, I may have even said that out loud, like, what the heck? <laughs> and after that, I was like, all right, let's get to work. And that faith has to, has to work itself out in action. And we just started meeting people. And we started engaging Regent Park. Because our church didn't start in a worship service, it didn't start in a Bible study group, it didn't start in a prayer group. It started by engaging with our city. It started by working with the city. And we met other families soon thereafter who, who came alongside the mission, the vision, the DNA of the church. And, and uh, we started engaging in Regent Park because the city was pouring millions of dollars into there at that point. And the city was giving us money to do things like just a couple families to do, I, I don't, it was amazing how much favor we had with the city of Toronto and, and with what God had already been doing. We just joined his work and we saw people come alongside us and, and it just grew and grew from there. And, and guys, I mean, it's, and then we went into, you know, small group, we talked about our, our BLGs earlier and then we went into services and God has done so much in the past five years, and you guys have been a part of it. Whether this is your first day here with us in our community, or your second day, or whatever it looks like for you, you have joined into God's work in our city through our church. And so thank you for that. Guys, in the past five years, we've seen so many things that God has done, and God has given us so much. And we've just tried to multiply it and try to step forward in faith. We've seen people come to faith who, who couldn't speak English. We've seen, and yeah, we had nothing to do with it. It was just the spirit grabbed them. We've seen, we sent out missionaries in a church. Guys, we're a five-year-old church, and we've planted other churches. 
Like, that's, that's amazing. We started other churches. Like, we, we have engaged two underprivileged communities in our city and, and now focus on St. Jamestown. And we've seen kingdom, we've seen so many kingdom things happen in St. Jamestown. We had the St. Jamestown Festival yesterday. It was just so great to see all of you guys out there supporting the community and, and being a part of, of uh, the new common and what we're doing in that community. Uh, we have, guys, I can go on and on about the things that we've seen in the past, um, but the reality is, like, God's given us those things to push us forward into the future. He's done so much, not so that we can sit down on these things and just be. Because at this point in time, a lot of churches get complacent. A lot of churches say, all right, now we have something to hold on to, and we're just going to maintain. And as long as we can maintain what we have, then we're going to be good. No, that's not what we're going to do. Jesus, there's this, there's this parable in, in the Gospels that Jesus gives, the parable of the talents. And, <clears throat> and it's a story of this, this, this guy. He gives three of his servants different talents, different, um, different amounts of money. And so to one he gives five, to another he gives two, to another he gives one. And then he goes away. And he says, take good care of these. He goes away. The, the guy with the five, he multiplies it in another five. So when the, the master comes back, there's ten. The guy with the two multiplies it in a four. So when the master comes back, he's doubled his too. But the guy with one, he took it and he buried it in the ground. Because he thought, this is so valuable to my master, I want to save it. And I want to have it for when he comes back, and I want to show it to him that I saved it. And, and when the master comes back, he commends the guy with 10 and commends the guy who, who multiplied in a four, and he rebukes the guy who buried him because he said, that's not what you're supposed to do with it. I gave this to you so that you could give it. You're supposed to receive so that you can give. We're not going to be a church, guys, that is just holding on to what God's given us. We will not bury our talent. We will not bury what God's given us. We're going to use it to multiply whatever God wants for us to do in our city. And we've already seen that happen. The next five years is going to be more of that. And so if you look at what we have in our hands, some people would say we have a lot. Some people would say we have very little. Uh, whatever it is, uh, I would say it's somewhere in between. <laughs> whatever it is, we're not going to sit on it. We're not going to bury it. We're going to take whatever little it is that we have, and we're going to multiply it. And we're going to take risks of faith. We're going to step out in boldness. And we're going to use that faith, and we're going to continue to prophesy in our community. And we need that gift. We need both these gifts to really come up in our community and to, to arise and for, for you guys to be empowered in them. And for the gift of prophecy in particular, um, and, and all these gifts I said, were, these are all accessible, but... For the gift of prophecy, Paul says here, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Because of upbuilding, encouragement, consolation, because it does something very unique and particular in the community. And we see this all throughout the scriptures, guys. Genesis 49, we see Jacob prophesying over his sons. And he blesses all of them, and it multiplies Israel. Exodus 15, Israel's in the wilderness, and they just come through the Red Sea, and, and Moses sings a prophetic word over them, and Miriam also sings a prophetic word over them. 
and, it's, and it directs the people of Israel. In Numbers 10, they're in the camp, and Joshua, Moses' aide, he, he runs up to Moses, and he says, hey, Moses, there's two guys prophesying in the camp, and Moses is like, are you jealous for my sake? He says, I, I would love all the people of God to prophesy. I would love the Spirit of God to be on all of them. He says, don't be jealous for my sake, and do not stop them. We want to encourage this. First Samuel 10, King Saul is there, the first king of Israel, and this group of prophets come up to him, and they say, the Spirit of God is going to rush on you. And when the Spirit of God rushes on Saul, the scriptures say two things. Literally, he was a new man, and he received a new heart. Because the Spirit rushed on him, and, 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 and he started prophesying. And he started operating in this gift. Ezekiel chapter 36, we have this amazing passage, this amazing prophet uh, being the mouthpiece of God. And God says, I'm going to exchange your heart of stone for a heart of flesh. Things keep on bouncing off your heart, guys. He's like, I'm going to give you a heart of flesh so that it, it can absorb my word. And he says, I will put my spirit within you. Ezekiel is picking up on, on numbers, right? On what Moses said. Moses prophesied this. He didn't even know this was going to happen yet. Ezekiel says, no, no, this is going to happen. The Spirit of God will come and, and be inside you. He will dwell in you and make his home in you. So then in Ezekiel chapter 37, we have the valley of, of dry bones. And it's this, this, this dismal picture of the nation of Israel just dry and dead and lifeless. And God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones, prophesied to the wind, prophesied to the spirit. And the spirit, the wind comes and fills these bones and gives them life. And it's this picture of what God is going to do when his spirit comes and dwells inside us. And Joel 2 picks up on this, the prophet Joel. And in Joel 2, he says, in the latter days, when repentance happens, when restoration happens, the spirit of God is gonna come and you're gonna prophesy. Sons will prophesy, daughters will prophesy, male servants will prophesy, female servants will prophesy. Uh, everyone will. And it's going to erase inequalities, socioeconomic inequalities, gender inequalities. It's going to erase uh, ethnic inequalities, national, national inequalities. And, and when we prophesy and the church assembles, he says, and there's repentance and restoration, we're going to see this happen. And then in Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14, Jesus is getting spit on, and he's getting beat, and he's getting slapped around, and he's getting mocked, and he's ridiculed. Our Savior is tortured, and he is humiliated, and those hitting him in the face say, prophesy to us. Who is it that struck you? Prophesy. And Jesus in that moment remains silent. And he fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah 800 years before who says that, he, that the Savior will do that. And he remains silent. The author of prophecy, the originator of prophecy, the creator of prophecy remains silent in that moment. And through his silence, he prophesies. And then Peter, in Acts chapter 2, is restored, has repented, and he quotes Joel chapter 2. And he says, guess what, guys? Today's the day that this is happening. 
Today's the day that Ezekiel 36 is happening, that Ezekiel 37 is happening, that Numbers chapter 10 is happening, that Joel chapter 2 is happening, that, that all this that was prophesied is happening today. And the Spirit is just, just fills everybody there. Thousands of people come to know Christ that day, get saved that day, and the church is birthed, the church is born. And then Paul, Paul um, in Romans and 1 Corinthians and, and 1 Thessalonians and 2 Peter and 1 John details out what the prophetic gifting looks like in the body of Christ, in the church. And, and he goes through it in all those, and we can tease out principles in, in all those books. And then in Revelation chapter 19, the very last book of the Bible, John writes these words. He says, the testimony of Christ is the spirit of prophecy. And so if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, the testimony of Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Walk forward into that. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, take a step of faith. The testimony of Christ is the spirit of prophecy. That is for all of us this morning to step into and to say yes to Jesus too. If Trinity Life is your church and you consider this your church, guys, it's time to commit. It's time to stop treating this like a Sunday worship service. It's time to stop coming in, receiving, and leaving. It's time to commit to the community. It's time to, to serve. It's time to be a covenant member. It's time to say, yes, we're going to be this committed core to hear from God together, to do this together, to influence our city and the world. That's what the next five years have to be for us. Can't be you just treating this like, like your, your other churches where you just like come in and sit and then leave. These spiritual gifts, we want these alive in our church, which means you, me, all of us have to step forward in them. And so let's take a step forward as a community of faith together and let's be the testimony of Christ and the testimony of Christ in our city so that we can see the spirit of prophecy live and live through us in our community, in our city, and through the churches across our city. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the beauty of your word. Thank you that... Ah, thank you that you care so much for us. Thank you that you pieced together your words so beautifully. Thank you that you've shown us what it is to live a life of faith. And I pray that as a community, we would take risks of faith together. It can't just be a few of us anymore. It has to be all of us. So stir something in our hearts. Stir something in us this morning. And I pray that we would not just say that we believe, but that we would follow you. That we would take, out, take a step of faith. That we, would, that we would take action. And that we would commit to what you're calling us to do. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.